And I uh, just wanted to welcome you. It's a joy to have you with us. Uh, isn't it amazing to see so many children being dedicated here this morning? And uh, I love how Dill said that, uh, yeah, I think it's the, it's the fruitfulness of the church that uh, we grow and uh, God gives us the blessing of children. And my prayer and our prayer at this church is that grow up in the ways of the Lord. And this series really has been about the ways of the Lord. If you've just arrived and you're a visitor, uh, as you would have seen behind me are the words, uh, the letters Yahweh which uh, speaks to God's name, and uh, God's name is powerful. I love the fact that when God comes down, He reveals it, He proclaims it. It's almost as a language to God. He speaks His name, and over the last two weeks, we've almost double-clicked on what that means. You know, in your computer, you go first time, click, double-click. It's almost like this word has become accessible to us. We've become to see it like we've never seen it before, and this name is powerful. The word Yahweh means I am. In other words, God is who He always will be. If He's loving, He always will be loving. If He's compassionate, He always will be loving. If He's slow to anger, we're going to speak about in the series to come, He always will be that. If He forgives sin, He always will do that. I am what I am because that's who He is. And who He is can shape who we become. The tagline of this really today, and I really believe as we go into something of His character, is this thought or this principle that what if who he is and his thoughts for us could have staggering implications for, for who we become? What if who he is, and more importantly, what he thinks of you and I, could change the way we live? Now, I don't know about you, but um, I really believe there's a burning on our hearts for a relationship with God. But sometimes it feels like he's a bit distant or distracted or over there. God's there, I'm here. And sometimes we think the idea of God is something we believe in our heads, but how do we relate to Him as a person? So for some of us, we've, we've taken our ideas and our desires and we've portrayed them to the God we hope to believe in. And for some of us, maybe we've got a little bit wrong on who He is. Not entirely wrong, but just enough wrong to mess with how we relate to Him. But what if today we met the real God and we realized that he is better than we ever imagined or dreamed? What if he pulled back, and the, the title of my sermon, if you take your notes today, is to pull back the curtain. What if we pulled back the curtain and we revealed this God that wants to be known by us and it changed the way we'd live our lives? Anybody want to pull back the curtain this morning on who Yahweh is? Because when we hear his name in Hebrew, it can be seen far from us, but God's idea and always has been is to reveal himself to his people. I love Moses, you know, Moses... He was with these people. God had rescued them out of Egypt. And uh, Moses was like, God saying, listen, uh, these, the, the people went and built their own idol. Moses went up the mountain. He took longer than normal. And they came down. By that time he came down, they already built their own idol. And God was like, oh, Moses, listen here. My name will be on you. I'll bless you. You go ahead, but I'm going to stay here. And Moses was like, no, 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 no. No, Lord, we, I don't, you can, you can, Lord, you can have everything else, the promise of a land of milk and honey. But, Lord, more than anything is I want you. You know what Moses is saying? Lord, I see you as beautiful, not just useful. In other words, God, I want to experience you. I want you to presence yourself with me. Lord, you can give me the whole world, but if I don't have you, I've got nothing. I need you, Jesus. I need your presence. Because when I got you, I got everything. Moses, and you know what Moses did? He asked to see God's glory. And then he went and positioned himself to receive it. Friends, if we come here this morning, I want to tell you, there's nothing that you have to get to give to Jesus. You just ask him for what you need. And when you arrive this morning, you're sitting in a chair here, and you don't know how you got to church. But I want to tell you, you just sitting in this chair, you've positioned yourself to receive from him. 
we've positioned ourselves to receive from a God who loves to give. And uh, today I believe that God wants to pull back something of his character so that he'd reveal himself to us. You know, I think, uh, I think something, we battle something around the approach of coming to God, what, what, we, what, what we perceive him to be. And I think if you were born in 1500 BC, when I read out that scripture from Exodus 34, you would have been, uh, you would have been a former slave of Egypt, and you would have been traipsing through this wilderness. And uh, you would have actually been born into a very spiritual, spiritually hostile world, full of gods and goddesses. And gods and goddesses in those days weren't typically friendly. They were demanding. You never felt like you could please them. You know, those gods, they would just throw, just, they would get angry at the drop of a hat. And those gods, like, they, they, would want, they want a little lamb from you, and then they want a goat, and then they want a heifer. You'll have to sacrifice that, and then they want to sacrifice the bull, and then they want to sacrifice your children, and could it be your firstborn? And so in those days, you didn't want anything to do with the god or the goddesses. It was almost like you were fearful of them. But then along comes Yahweh, and he rescues the people out of Egypt, takes them across the Red Sea, and he feeds them in the desert. He coaxes them into a relationship with his people, and he says, listen, I want to be known by you, and you can know me. Well, who is this God? Because today, God reveals something of who he is. And when you get this, everything in life makes sense. I think sometimes we arrive, you know, I said, we, we, I love to live on the North Coast. Don't you love the North Coast? Isn't it beautiful here? It's, I've got some friends from Mams and Toti. I'm hoping you'll move here one day. And uh, so I don't know where you're from, but I want to see the North Coast is beautiful. You know why? Because in many ways, it's the lifestyle we live here. I mean, look at today. No wind, the sun's out. You, it's beautiful. I mean, it could be worse. We could be in Moy River, but we're not. We're here. And so, I, I, you know what I love about the North Coast? The different estates, the housing estates. So, we've got guys from Simbiti. Anyone from Simbiti here this morning? We've got people from Dunkirk, and we've got people from Brettonwood, and we've got people from Zimbali, and we've got people from Grautville, and we've got people from Shiamoya, and we've got people from Tongot. But all these people sitting here are, are part of this community. But you know what I love specifically about housing estates? Is that in most housing estates, you have two different gates you go through. You can either be, go through the homeowner gate or the visitor's gate. Now, I have a lot of friends in these estates, so I go to visit them often. But I've realized there's a different approach between being a visitor and a homeowner. Now, if you're a visitor, you know what it's like because you arrive there, and as you're driving up to that gate, you're already doing this in your pants to look for your phone because you've got an access code. And then when you get to the gate, the gentleman at the gate comes out to you, and he's got a machine in his hands. I still don't know what those machines are. But anyway, he looks at you, and he goes, number, please, access. And you go, I don't know where these get these codes from either. It's like an XYZ1533. And you go, XYZ1533. And the guy at the gate goes, XYZ1532. And you go, no, 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 Baba, XYZ153. And eventually, he gets it, and it presses it. And then he looks at you and he says, how many in the car? And I'm like, just one. He says, are you sure? And he like puts his head in the car just to check. I'm like, I look around. I'm like, yeah, no, only one, only one. He reckons, donkey baba. And then he goes, and he takes, he's, can I have your license, please? Then you give him his license. And then he does a shot to your license. Don't know what he does. He's like, Ditch. And then he goes round the car, slow walk around the car, and he goes to the registration, he checks the, your vehicle, and he gives a little snapshot there, and then he walks, but all the time he's walking, he's just smiling at you like that. Mm. 
I can just look at you. You feel like you're guilty before you've arrived. So then he walks around like this and he comes around and he stands there like this and he looks at you and then he says, hey, you're going to have a good morning. I said, oh, thank you. And then he walks in. This is the best part. I love this because I think, you know, he doesn't open the boom gate then. He walks into the hut and there's this secret button. I don't know where it is, but it's like the, it's the God code secret button. And he walks in there and he like pretends like you can't see it and he gives you like a little kick with his foot and he presses it and he's like, Ah, and the gate opens, and then you go in. But then I've realized as a visitor, by the time the visitors got through, the homeowner who's already gone through, he's already had two cups of tea watching Supersport highlights. I mean, it's over. If you're a homeowner, you just drive in there, it's like beep, beep, ooh, hey, fingerprint, shy fingerprint, donkey. And so you're sitting as a visitor, and the boom gate to the homeowner is just going like this, whoop, 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 whoop. It's like windscreen wipers on a big day. And he's just, whoop. And the guys are going through, and then I want to tell you, some of the most free people in the world are the children of homeowners. You know why? Because dad paid for it. How did you get in here? I don't know. I just pressed the button. Voop, right through. And I thought to myself, the kingdom of God is just the same. Sometimes we approach God saying, hey, have I all got it worked out? Have I got my ID? Have I got my license? Did I have a good week, a bad week? I'm not quite sure. But God says, listen here, my friend, you're a homeowner on this earth. You have access. Jesus did what we could never do. We arrive at church with a premise that we have to do something to get to God, where God says 2019 years ago, I did it, sealed and done, I paid for it, you don't deserve it, yet you have it, you have all authority and access into the kingdom of God. I wonder if we had the mindset this morning when we arrived that we're not fighting for freedom, we have freedom because Christ died for us. Oh, what a savior we have. I wonder whether we'd enjoy the ride more if we realized what God has done for us. I wonder whether we'd enjoy this Christianity life where we realize that our father is stronger than we ever thought. He's more sufficient than we ever thought. He provides for us in ways we never, we are blessed, we are called, we are healed. And I wanna tell you, we have access into the greatest gate ever. You think Sambidi's good? Woo, my friend. Heaven's, heaven's another story, my friend. We got access to heaven on earth. Not waiting for one day for heaven. Right today, you've got access and authority because of the blood of Jesus. What a savior we have. Yo, what a savior we have. And yet Yahweh, I am, comes down on the mountain. And he says, Moses, let me show you who I am. You know what I love about God? Is, uh, whoa. Okay, there we go. One. I've got another one. I don't know whether we can maybe find it at the back there. It's a purple one. Um, but what I love about God is when he comes. And he reveals himself. He, uh, he doesn't reveal himself for his power. He re- reveals himself for his personality. And I think, to be honest, when we have most conversations <clears throat> with someone, excuse me, we say to them, hey, how are What's your name? We get to meet each other. And the next thing we ask is, what, so what do you do? You know why? Because we place value in what someone does. But notice when God reveals himself, he doesn't tell them about his power and what he's done. It's not like our CV we put out there. All our accomplishments, where we work, the experience we have, we just name them, boom, boom, boom. God could have done that. Oh, I made the constellations of the sky. I made the mountains and the shores. I did everything. He could have done that, but he chose not to. You know why? Because it's more important to know who his person is rather than the power he has in his hands. God wants to reveal his personality to us because if we know who he is, it'll have staggering implications on the life we live. And he chooses to do that for you and I. Today, I wanna pull, pull the curtain back on a couple of things. I've got three sort of lines that are associated with, with the first is the words he uses, the second is the ways of Jesus, and the third is that we get to win. When we know the words and the way, 
we are invited to win together. Isn't that good news? The gospel of Jesus Christ, we get to win together. And so I'm going to go to what he, how he reveals himself. And the first one is this, the words he uses. In order to pull back the curtain, we've got to understand the words he uses. And God says in his word, and right in the beginning, and he says it, and we read it earlier, and he says, as he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord Yahweh, the Lord Yahweh, here it is, the first one, and pulling back the curtain into who his character is and who he is, he says, the compassionate and gracious God. Say that with me, the compassionate and gracious God, the compassionate and gracious God. This is the heartbeat of God. He's revealing who he is right in the first thing, and it's important that we note how this happens, because in Hebrew, which the original text is in, order is important. In other words, what is first said, because the other characteristics that follow this, what is first is the most important. In other words, it is the most dominant emotion. In other words, I mean, we know this to be true for ourselves. I mean, when you make, uh, my wife makes really good mealy bread, I said in the first service, but I said the main ingredient of mealy bread is, is I think it's bread flour. Um, but that's the main ingredient, and we know that to be true. So what is the main ingredient of God's character? You know what it is? Compassion and grace. It is the dominant emotion for you and I. If I had to ask you a question, what is the most prized nation in the world in God's eyes? What would you say? Israel, thank you, thank you. So Israel, right at the back there, thank you. And, and if you look at Israel, what do you think the most prized city in Israel is? Jerusalem, and if you looked at Jerusalem, what is the most prized place in Jerusalem? The Temple Mount. And if you had look at the Temple Mount, what is the most prized place in the temple? The Holy of Holies, where God would reside. If you looked in the Holy and Holies, what is the most prized place in the Holy of Holies? It's the mercy seat. Right at the heart of God is mercy. Compassion, because that's where the word compassion comes. Mercy is compassion and graciousness. God's dominant emotion towards you and I, before we've done anything, is compassion and graciousness. It's interesting, this word in the Hebrew, it is two words that are linked together, but it's two words that are a word pairing. And uh, I'll write the words down now, but a word pairing is important because they're two words that are linked together that give each other meaning. And we know word pairings. I mean, like, Adam and Eve, eggs and bacon, um, nice and easy, you know that, pure and simple, okay? Uh, I mean, I could give you some South African ones, you know, like bra, flace, yeah, shisa, inyama, yeah, curry, I said earlier I'd say roti, but anyway, curry and, ro curry and rice will work, I mean, and then, and then obviously, I mean, there's one word, and I thought about it this, year, this month, I mean, there's one word pairing that I think is for today, for South Africa, in September, because it's going to be a September to remember, you know what the word pairing is? Springboks and World Cup trophy. Yes, Baba, donkey. Two words that give each other meaning. Here God gives us two words. Two words that are word pairing and give us great meaning. The two words in Hebrew, I'm going to write them down because they're given for you and I, and we want to look at them because when we go a bit deeper, we see something of God's character. Who's ready for it? I'm going to write it out. Uh, two words for him. The first one is Rahum. Rahum. The second is Va. You say it's where, but it's va, ha, nun. 
Rahum va Hanun. So you're going to have to help me at Link Church because we came to church this morning and you just walked away learning some Hebrew. Here we go. So I'm going to say Rahum and you say va Hanun. You ready? Rahum? 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 Oh, it sounds rhythmic. It's like, woo. You see, Rahum and Hanun, they're similar. You see, there's a word pairing there. They have similar, but they give each other meaning. And the Hebrew writers, when they wrote it, they almost want to look into it because it's layered and it has a distinct meaning for you and I. On the surface, when you look at it, we go like, oh, okay, well, it's compassion and gracious. Whenever we think of compassion and gracious, we think it's quite weak, you know, like, oh, compassion, hug, hug, kiss, kiss. No, 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 it's far greater than that. Rahum va Hanun. So I'm going to separate the two and look at the two distinctly and then we'll bring them back together. Firstly, Rahum. Rahum. It comes from a root word called Rehem which means mother's womb. It is a feeling word. It's that feeling associated with a mother and her child. It's that love that a mother has for her child. It's a love that a father has for a child. To Rahum is that deep in your marrow, visceral feeling, emotive feeling, that love that a mother has for her child. How many of you know that when we have children, there's this undenying, undeniable love that comes straight away? You remember, I remember when we first had our first child, James. I mean, you know, baby monitor. When you first have your first baby, the baby monitor is on 24-7, 365. I mean, it just stays in there, firmly charged. James, all you do is sniff his nose and we up over the pram. Like, is he breathing? Are we sure he's going to be okay? I don't know. Is he dead? No, he's alive. Thank you, Jesus. You're like, hey, just don't touch him because if he wakes up, Corning King, Baba, just leave him there. Just let him sleep. There's nothing better than a sleeping baby. And every first parent said, Amen. I always tell people when you have your first baby, it's the world's best kept secret. It's like, woo, what were we doing when we were still single? Uh, anyway, that's just for me. So, um, so here's the thing. There's this love. There's this deep emotive love. It's a rahum love. In fact, there are many stories in Scripture around this rahum that's used in Scripture. All through the Bible, into Old Testament into the New Testament, the word rahum is used. It's used with King Solomon where he had a problem with two women, two mothers, same baby. They were fighting over them. So he had an ingenious plan on how to flush out the real mum. He said, okay, let's cut the baby in two. We'll give you each a half. The real mother cried out and said, no, 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 no. Keep the baby alive. Give it to her. You know what the word there to cry out and help was that word rahum. She had a rahum for the real baby. She was like, no, that's my child. I'll do whatever you, keep him alive. It's the same rahum that God has for us. The Bible says in Psalm 103, as a father has compassion, there's that word rahum, for his, for his children. So God has compassion for him, those who fear him. As a father would have compassion for his children, so God has rahum for those who fear him. There's a God that has that deep, felt love for you and I. Now, tragically, for some of us, we, this, we disassociate with this because just because of the parents we might have had. For some, maybe you've never had parents. And so when you say compassion, like a dad loves a mom, you go like, I, don't, I have no reference for that. For some, it's like I had a dad that was just domineering and waited for me to mess up the whole time. I had a mom that was, that was a perfectionist that always wanted me to be more. And so for, when you speak of this, you go, well, I'm not quite sure. But I think for the most of us, I think we've known as being parents that love that is deep within us. There's the sense we've, as we've had a child, we've realized that, you know what, greater than a sports, sportsman is to a sports fan, greater than a love between a husband and a wife, there is this deep, emotive, feeling love that a parent has for his children. I want to tell you that's the same love that God loves you and I. And that's the preface for where he starts. It's a rahum love for you and I. It has to do with feeling. The second is vahanun. And vahanun 
has to do with grace. That's where the graciousness comes from. It has to do with grace and favor. It has to do, it's an action word. It has to do with helping when you're in need. To hanun someone is to help someone when they are in need. God doesn't just feel us, but he acts on our behalf. All through scripture, there are stories of God reaching out and helping people in times of need, especially around the, the, the nation of Israel. When they were in trouble, what happened is people prayed and God came with through with his hanun. He came to rescue and to save. In fact, in Psalm 86, there's a scripture that speaks to this and I just wanted to read it. It says this in Psalm 86, turn to me and be gracious to me, Lord. This is what the psalmist is praying. He's actually praying Exodus 34. Turn to me and be gracious. Turn to me and help me. Hanun me, Lord. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your main servant. Do you see that? That word gracious is a hanun. Lord, turn to me. I'm waiting for you to help me. This is the, these are the ways of, this is the, the words that describe who God is. Now, here's the thing. When you take Rahum and you link it with a hanun, the, root, the, the one thing that God shows us is underlined in these two words together. When you link them two together, the overriding thing that God has for you and I is mercy. His mercy for you and I. That is at his first description of who he is. If we were to describe God, his baseline emotion for you and I is not judgment, but mercy. He opens our hearts to you and I. That is the words. When we understand the words, it shapes the world we live in. The second is this. It has to do with the ways. The ways. And uh, what I love about this is that we fast track to the New Testament. And uh, we start, we're back in the Old Testament with Moses. And Moses, in many ways, is a forerunner. He's, he's a picture of who Jesus is. I love how Moses, in that story in Exodus, God says, if you want to see my glory, I'm going to hide you in the rock. And God passed by him. It's a picture of us, you and I. If Moses could be hidden in the rock, how much more are you and I hidden in Christ? And his character would come past us and be who we are. You see, when we are hidden in Christ, we imitate God to a dying world. We take on his character, we take on his belief, we take on, imitate him and who we are. If Moses could be hidden in the rock, how much more Jesus, we are hidden in Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we learned last week, and Dill spoke about it, that in John 1 verse 14, he, along comes Jesus. And in this scripture, it says that he was the fullness of his father. He represented his father. And he was full of, and I'll write that down, grace and truth. Grace and truth. And this is important to know because grace has to do with graciousness, hanun. Truth, the root word for truth is compassion and mercy. Do you see that? Jesus comes and fulfills the Exodus scripture. He is also both compassion and grace. He fulfills it. And the one thing that's striking about Jesus when he came, he changed the way people perceived who God was. Philip said to him, he'd been going for him for three years, Jesus, just show me the Father and it'll be enough. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He continued to tell people, you know, he, he, he was scandalous what he said. Because before Jesus, he, God was known as Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai. But Jesus came along and said, no, we can call him Father. We can call him Father. And he changed it up. And you see, there is a new way. Moses prayed, Lord, show me your ways. That's why I wrote that down. The ways. When we see the way of Jesus, it changes us forever. You see, Jesus also came to Rahum Vahanun, us. And I want to go to scripture in John chapter 21, and I want to look at a character that Jesus had an encounter with. Because this morning you might be sitting here, but God also wants to rahum vahanun you in your situation. John chapter 21, and we're going to read it together. It's an encounter with a man by the name of Peter. 
And uh, if you've got your Bibles, when you take them, we're going we're to read in John chapter 21. It says this, Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. If you can just stay there. Afterwards, what's afterwards? After the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it goes on to say, and it happened this way, and it mentions who was there. And it says, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. There were seven together. But look at the first name, Simon Peter. Now, I want to just, this is a little story about Simon Peter. I want to give you some context to who Peter was. Peter was one of the apostles. But Peter was a guy with a full heart and half a mind. He was the kind of guy that used to jump out on the water. He was the kind of guy who used to speak before he thought. He was the guy who took out his fishing knife and tried to kill a Roman soldier, but actually cut off his ear. I mean, he was a dis disorganized guy. But Jesus loved him. He loved Peter because he was a faith guy. You know what the currency of heaven is? Faith. Jesus looked at him and said, you know what? I see your heart. There's potential in you. I love you. We don't have to have everything worked out in our minds, but if we've got a full heart, Jesus can use that story. If you've got a passionate heart, God looks on the heart. He's, Peter was a man who was like, I'm gonna do it for you, God. I'm the guy. But the problem with Peter is he based his faith on what he could do for God. He was just wired like that. So he thought, well, my faith is gonna be like that. You ever felt like that in your life? I'm gonna do things for God. You ever made some promises? I remember when I first got saved, Lord, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. By Wednesday, I'd failed. You know, it's funny how they do that. We make promises. Anyone wanna make some promises on God? I wanna tell you, we have all the time and we tend to fail, but I believe there's one person who's never failed and it's Jesus Christ. Peter, what I loved about Peter was he's this guy, you know, and look at the story in which you find yourself. You see, Peter was disillusioned. He was, he was, he was put to shame. He was he's depressed. He wasn't feeling it. This, was, this is what happened. You know why? Because the night before Jesus was crucified, he had, he had, he had the rooster had crowed three times and he denied Jesus. And so he was running away in shame. He had he'd felt disappointment. He had felt like he didn't weigh up. And so now he's running from him. In fact, Peter was the very guy who at the Last Supper, you know, Jesus said to him, listen, now I'm going where you cannot go. And so, G and so Peter looked at all the other 11 disciples and said, no, 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 Jesus, I'm coming with you. These 11 guys, they're riffraff. They won't make it. But me, I'll be there. I'm coming with you, Jesus. And Jesus looked at him. I love how Jesus responds. He looks at me. He says, hey, by tomorrow, this time, you'll deny me three times. The rooster's going to crow. I love how God, Jesus got a sense of humor. He uses a rooster to describe Peter, you know. He's just, full, he's just all about what he can do for God. And Jesus goes, no, it's not going to work. And he was committed. And yet he finds us in this place where he's denied him three times. And now he's in this space where he's like, I don't know whether I can count. I don't know whether I got what it takes. I'm disillusioned. I'm running from him. And the Bible says that he said, I'm going to choose to go fishing. I love that. He, he chooses to go back to what he knew. Now, when he says, I'm going to go back to fishing, it's not like you and I are going for a little bash throw down at one of the dams here. That's not it. It's a bit like Victor Matfield. You remember Victor Matfield? He played Springboks, World Cup winner. And then he went played year. He went tried to play professional golf for that year. And then after a year, he said, no, back, I'm going to go back and play rugby. You know, we all understood what he meant there. He was going to go back to his vocation. Peter was doing the same. He wasn't just going for a little fly fish in the Sea of Galilee. He was going back to what he thought. He was running from God, placing his identity in what he thought could happen for his life. And he was, ten, he was disillusioned, saying, no, I can't, I can't do it anymore. He finds himself going back to the very thing that he had left to follow Jesus. And often when we're in that space, if we put our identity in something that's not him, look how much fish they caught. The Bible says they caught nothing. You see, when we put our faith in what we can do, we put our faith in how we can find an outcome, we put our faith in what we consider success, we put our faith in how we should shape our lives, you know what tends to happen? Nothing tends to make, we don't make much of it. 
And this is where these disciples found themselves. He has Peter on the shore, on the, on the boat with seven other guys, and they've caught nothing. But here's where the Bible changes, the story changes. And it says this, and Jesus came to stand on the shore. He says, I'm going out to fish. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. I want to tell you, here's the good news of the gospel. The gospel is not that I'm awesome and God chose me. The gospel is I was a mess and he saved me. I was a mess and he saved me. You see, Peter, there was nothing about Peter. I mean, Peter wasn't out there praying, doing the Hail Mary. They weren't opening the Bible going, Hallelujah, they weren't singing, like worshiping, like, Holy Jehovah, and Jesus arrives. They weren't doing that. I think Peter was like, hey, he was like, hey, he, was, he, was, he caught nothing. He was frustrated. I mean, that in itself, Peter goes fishing and caught nothing. That's an oxymoron. It's like, it's like John Howie going fishing and catching nothing. It just doesn't happen. You know, it's like Kelly Smith going fishing. I want to tell you, it's an oxy, it didn't make sense. So Peter must have been frustrated. He's like, oh my gosh. And yet in the place of his deepest frustration, guess who arrives? Jesus. I want to tell you, when you feel like you've got nothing and nothing's coming your way, watch out. It's the very place that God comes to stand on our shore. It's when we feel like we don't have anything. And you know what the good news of the gospel is? The way we approach God is we say, God, we don't deserve it. But man, you've poured your favor over us. Peter and them didn't deserve it, yet Jesus stood on the shore. Jesus stands here on the outside of your heart and he stands looking at you and he says, I'm right here for you. I have not moved. You know what Jesus was doing? He was opening up that, con he wanted connection again with Peter. He wanted to open up the relationship with him. Jesus is always miraculously working all things to connect you again in relationship. And maybe you arrived this morning, you feel far from him, disillusioned and ashamed, just like Peter was. But I wanna tell you, there's one that's standing on your shore and giving you an invite to follow him again. Would you follow him again? Because you know why? He's rahum vahanun. He is compassion and mercy. And I love this part of the story because they're standing on the boat, Jesus on the shore, and the Bible says that he called them friends, but other texts say children. So he almost went, hey boys! Hey boys. Now Jesus, he knows everything. So he knows he's caught nothing. But he asked them, how many fish you caught, boys? <laughs> and uh, now the, the Bible goes quickly, but I think in that moment there was a big gap of at least 20 minutes. Because it was like, Peter was like, who's that clown on the shore there telling me, who, what do you mean, how many fish I caught? Nothing. He's like, nothing. Not nooks. He's like, he's like, he didn't want to give it away, but he's like, and then the guy, then the voice comes from the shore again. Jesus says, hey, boys, why didn't you throw your net on the other side, boys? And you can imagine Peter. He's like, oh my gosh. He said, what? I've looked at my fish finder. There's nothing here, man. We've been here all night in the same spot, and I've got nothing. I've never done this before. And we've got some clown on the shore. Who's that guy there? I can't even see him, because the Bible says they couldn't recognize him. He's like, who's that clown? Come here, my friend. I'll give you a heart, and you never throw dribble. You, you, you mean I've got no... And yeah, he's frustrated, yet Jesus is, is leading him on to encounter him. And Jesus says, put your nets on the other side. I can imagine, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, other side, eh? easy, yeah? Eh? And I think John next to him, you know John, because the Bible says that John's the one that Jesus loved the most. I think John's just chilling on the boat there. Ooh. And he reckons, hey, Peter, maybe he's the quiet guy. He's like a blue temperament. He's like, quiet, like, hey, listen, yeah, Peter's yellow. He's like, he's frustrated. He's like, no, come, just, just throw it. Just try once, Peter, come on, just once. And then Peter throws it. And the Bible says they caught so much fish, they couldn't keep it in the nets. And you know, John, he gets up and it says the one that Jesus loved the most looked and he saw it was Jesus. And he says to Peter, Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter's reaction is startling. You know what Peter does? 
He doesn't worry about the fish anymore. He jumps, he says he puts on his outer garment and he dives in the water. That doesn't make sense. When you swim, you swim in a less garment. You take garments off, otherwise you drown. He puts a garment on. You know what this tells me? Any time we come to Jesus, there's no perfect way to come to Jesus. Sometimes it's gonna look a bit messy. Sometimes it's gonna be tears. Sometimes it's gonna be just on your knees. Sometimes it's gonna be like, I'm just gonna run towards him. I don't know what running towards him looks like this morning, but just run towards him. Swim towards him because he's waiting for you on the shore. Swim with everything you have. Don't hold back on what Jesus has for you. He has so much more. Don't sit back in your boat because he's on your shore. Swim towards him. Open your heart. Be who you are. Don't try and make out you're somewhere not. It was messy. It was messy. This, I mean, I think Peter was just a breaststroke guy, maybe. Like, <laughs> like he's, he's just a frog leg kicking. I mean, on those days, you didn't do swimming lessons when you were younger. I mean, he didn't. I didn't. So, and he, off he goes like this. But John, you know John, the one Jesus loved the most? He just rose the boat. Like, like, he's like, hey, Peter, you can swim if you want, but we're just going to row to him. Because I know God loves me. He's just rested, John. He's like, oh, that's great, Peter. Yeah, keep going, my buddy. And he says, and he says, other six guys are with him, and they're like smiling. How's this guy? Peter. But Peter, remember Peter, guys. He's the guy with the full heart. Remember? He's the guy who said, I'll jump into anything for you, Lord. And he's racing towards him because he's never seen love like this. He's never seen Rahum Vahanun like this in his life. You see, Peter felt so, so much shame, felt so disappointed. He wasn't a bad guy, Peter. You know what often happens in life when we come to know Jesus? And for many people that have walked with God for a long time, something's happened, something's gone down. You're not a bad guy. You're just over there. And you don't feel this connection with God anymore. And it's in this very context that Jesus says, I'm standing on your shore here this morning, and I want to know you. And Peter swims. When he gets there, I think it must have been messy. He must have jumped out. I reckon he ran up, and he gave Jesus the biggest hug ever. You know what I love about Jesus? He didn't stand there and go like, hey, Peter. Yeah, you checked, my buddy. You shouldn't have done that three days. The rooster crowed, and look what you did wrong. And he, he, Jesus never did that. He opened his arms to receive him. You know the first words of the Bible, that any disciple speaks, that any angel speaks, that God speaks, the first words he speaks to humanity is, peace be with you. Peter, in his sinfulness, in his shamefulness, in what he can't do, Jesus wide open on the shore. Come, come home, my son. I wonder if the world would change if people realized that that's the kind of God we serve. He's open-handed, open-hearted, and he welcomes anyone to come. Come, Peter, I love you. You know what's amazing about the story? As Peter gets up onto the shore. I can imagine John gets off. He's not even wet. He's like, <laughs> Woo. He's just, John's just loving it. He's got the fish. He's got everything. Peter is wet, hugged him, tears. Jesus says, come sit down. I've got a fire for you. I've got some fish and bread on the fire. You know, any time we come to Jesus, we don't have to bring anything. He's already got something for us to eat on. You can feed on him forever and ever and ever. You never run dry. You keep feeding on him. You got nothing? That's just perfect because you don't have to bring anything. Don't try and bring your perfect character. Don't try and bring who you are, your accolades. Now leave that behind because he's got more for you. And he says, sit down. And they sit around a charcoal fire. Do you know that the Bible's full of fires from Genesis to Revelation? But there's only two charcoal fires in account in Scripture. The first charcoal fire is where Peter warmed his hands around a fire where a little girl challenged him about whether he knew Jesus and he denied him three times around a charcoal fire. The second charcoal fire is where Jesus stands before him and says, no longer will I condemn you, but I'll reinstate you for who you are. God takes us around a fire again. And you see, God might take you back to that place of shame, but he's only doing it to remind you. You see, because for Peter, he would have looked at every charcoal fire for the rest of life and felt condemnation. But Jesus said, no longer in my name. 
When you sit at my fire, I'll reinstate you and remind you that you are an apostle. And your name was Simon, but now it's Peter. And you will preach to the world. And people will come to know you because of you. I want to tell you, Peter, he spoke of his death. He says, you will live for my glory and you will die for my glory. What a promise that in his death, we're still reading about Peter and what his story would do. His story will go on for eternity and eternity. Jesus didn't point to his past, but pointed to so much more that was to come. I want to tell you today, in a moment, Jesus take away our past and point to an incredible future over our lives. Amen. Last one, one simple thought as we close this morning. And I want to end it with this simple way. So the, word, the words make such sense to us. Rahum va hanun, the ways of Jesus, compassion and love. And I had to speak about this one disciple because he was on the boat. And if you read this text in John 21, you can miss it so easily. But he said, the apostle Jesus loved the most. You know, I wrote that John. You see, all the other disciples knew Jesus loved them. But do they truly believe it? John believed it. He said, I'm the one Jesus loved. I want to tell you, you know, you know how we win with the gospel, when we change our minds from the inside out, is when we believe this simple truth. When we do this, when we choose to believe in God's love for us. I believe this will change our lives. It's not so much understanding who God is, it's when you realize what He thinks of you. When you choose to believe that He loves you, it changes your life. You know why? Because the only person that saw Jesus on the shore was John. You see, when you boast in God's love for you, you might be out at a distance, you might have nothing in your fishing net, you might have nothing, but you will have the ability to see Jesus in every circumstance. When we boast in the love of God, we will walk in a security and a confidence, not an approval waiting from man, but we will have approval of heaven. When you boast in God's love for you, you realize you are a son and daughter. You've been anointed by Him, you've been forgiven, your present is powerful, and your future is secure. I wanna tell you, we should be a church that believes in the love that God has for us. Because when we do that, it changes us for the inside out. I wanna close with this last thought and I remind the beginning. Could it be that when we realize who He is and what He thinks of us, could have staggering implications for who we become? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? I'd love to pray with you.